0: Everybody, this is your host, Andre Hutchins, and welcome to another episode of the Backseat Directors Podcast. The podcast dedicated to the celebration and discussion of all things movies. If you are a first time listener, welcome to the show. For all of our longtime listeners, thank you so much for returning. Thank you for your support. Uh, On today's episode, we've got quite the show for you. I'm going to be joined by my co host, Ryan Nevin. And we've got quite a few films to talk about in regards to our recently watched list. We're going to get into some uh, movie news. We've actually got some crazy news coming out of Warner Brothers for future DC films. And then we're going to get into to kind of the main portion of our discussion which is Uh, talking about Batman Begins, the Christopher Nolan movie that began it all with Batman Begins and the Dark Knight Trilogy. Uh, That movie recently celebrated its 15-year anniversary, and we can't wait to talk about Christian Bale and Batman once again. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and for tuning into the show. I really appreciate all the support that I get from you guys, and you guys are the ones I do this for. this This is a passion of mine. I love movies, and I love talking about movies with all of you. And I, honestly, this wouldn't be happening if I wasn't getting listeners. But uh, because I am, I'm going to keep doing this. If you guys want to show more support for Backseat Directors, do me a favor. Go on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show right now and rate and review Backseat Directors. If you guys could do that for me, that would be such a huge solid and would really just show great support for Backseat Directors. It's going to help me out. It's going to help the show out. Uh, So, yeah. Um, let's go ahead and get on with today's show. Let's go ahead and invite Ryan onto the, to the podcast and, uh,
1: we'll begin today's episode.
0: What's going on, brother? How's it going, man?
1: Hey man, I'm not too bad. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. It's summer and summers in Utah are second to none. And I'll have to prove that to you if you actually ever make it out here. (laughs) (laughs) You still, you still got a trip to the U S planned this year? October.
1: Yeah, October, so um, so flights and everything are all done, so yeah, really, we should probably uh, give you a bit more information about that, but yeah, October the 24th, I believe our flight is now, to fly out on.
0: Uh, uh, that's, that's my wife's birthday, man, you're going to be flying out on my wife's birthday.
1: Um... Yeah, I think we've had this conversation, yeah, so I fly out there, but obviously we're going to still do the same, the same trip style, so it'll be more just fly to LA, but pretty much straight to Vegas, then to San Diego and then, and then then back, and then final stage would be l a so it' be the like the weekend after
0: chances that it actually happens. you feeling comfortable feeling feeling optimistic,
1: uh, yeah, I think so, I think a lot as things are going back to a bit of a normality in the u k shops and stuff are opening back up again, people are going back to work i i'm also I'm going back to work from the first of July, so things are starting to cinemas are opening up in July over here as well. So that's October's a long way away from July. Oh, the UK, now, you, you so
0: guys might make it back to normal, uh, maybe before the US, dude. All hell's broken loose in the last. Like- <laughs> Month here in the US. Yeah. Um which which listeners we addressed somewhat on uh the last podcast that Ryan and I had together. Uh I believe this is episode one oh six, so that would have been episode one oh four talking about uh just mercy, but um hopefully it happens, man. It'll be good. It'll be good to have you out here. Uh y- you've never been on the West Coast, right? So that'll be your first first trip.
1: No. So I've I've been pretty much all over America, except from the West Coast, which is one of the places I've always wanted to go to. Um, I think just a lot of circumstantial stuff has led me to be more central and and East Coast. But yeah, so West Coast. I'm looking forward for uh, you and Mikey to show me the uh, the way of the West Coast side. Dude, hold
0: well, I I don't know. I I, don't, I mean, you say you don't Instagram much, but uh, Mikey and I we follow each other on Instagram, and he posted a video of him going to this, uh, a taco joint that looked just. Epic, absolutely epic, man. Like, you're, I mean, outside of going to Mexico itself, Southern California is like probably the mecca for for Mexican food. And so, um, I'm, I, I already, I messaged him, I'm like, dude, you got to take us to this taco stand when we come because it looked incredible. It looked really good. Oh, man, so. we're going to eat,
1: we're going to eat so much. You've still got to apparently um, educate me on real American food.
0: <laughs> I would have to put out a poll, man. I don't know. I don't know if our listeners have actually had a uh, had a little uh, uh, preview to our co- previous conversations that you and I had about who has the better food, the UK or the US. So <laughs> I'm sure the listeners can can speculate on where I stand on that and where you stand as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey! Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. We got a lot to cover, a lot to discuss, lots of news and headlines. That you know, in spite of coronavirus and a lot of the um, you know movie production delays and, and no new movies still coming out yet. Um, we've we do have some updates and news to share with you guys. But uh, real quick, let's go ahead and get into our recently watched list, Ryan. So I know you have recently uh finished your marvel movie marathon we've already had that discussion so what about what about recently man over the last two weeks what you've been up to what you've been watching
1: to be honest i've i've been watching a considerable amount of tv so sadly my movie time is has taken a bit of a back seat um i've been watching that um that the uh, the gallery uh, for the documentary for the like mandalorian have you oh that yet?
0: i've no i've seen a lot of people tweet about that though uh, it looks good i it, i have it on my added list for disney plus but i have not started watching it yet
1: yeah it's good yeah it's really good um mikey i was um recommended that to us and he said it was good so i thought i'd check it out and yeah it is it is um it is really interesting just when they just talk about george and stuff and and they all seem like real fans of like real Star Wars. and really understand it. And Dave Filoni is just like, he just gets it. They need to, they need to make him more integral part of, of the films.
0: Yeah. I, I think honestly, I think over the next 12 months, I think we're going to see a lot of news coming out of Lucasfilm a, a lot. I, I just have a feeling yeah. I've got a feeling that, you know, that this time right now, you know, the, the all the Corona, uh coronavirus quarantine and, you know, Hollywood shut down essentially, uh, I don't know. I just, I just think there's a lot of decisions that are have been made and are going to start being made over the next 12 months regarding Lucasfilm leadership. You know, who's going to be directing movies? What path they're going to take? You know, I, because I, I just, I just found this out today, dude. I didn't realize that The Rise of Skywalker is the worst reviewed by by critics on Rotten Tomatoes Star Wars movie ever. Worse than any prequel movie. Which blows my mind. It really blows my mind.
1: <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't surprise me.
0: The, the Last Jedi still holds the worst audience-reviewed score for a Star Wars movie on Rotten Tomatoes, but by critics, The Rise of Skywalker takes the cake. And it, it, I don't know, man. Star Wars is in a weird spot right now. You know, The Mandalorian I think is the one bright spot right now for Star Wars, and and you got to think that Disney Plus is like. That's at the top of their priority list, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think I, th- I think John Favreau is gonna have some level of promotion. I think a lot of people have been whispering about something like that and and wanting it to happen. And I'm a bit a big fan of John Favreau, but I think he's from an outside perspective, he looks like someone who deserves to get a little bit more of a of a, a senior role within Disney. He's he's obviously done them very well with lots of their films. Uh, everything that he's ever done has 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 never been classed as a failure. It's always been a success. Some better than others. So I think he did, I think he is a, a a big advocate of Disney and, and has done really well for him. So I think and with the Mandalorian and watching this documentary, he he gets it. He gets it. Like, he really understands what Star Wars is about. And I'm not saying that they should bin off Catherine Kennedy, but maybe she should just be more of the business side of things and maybe bring him as in as more of like a creative director and give him that control of of how things are created and the story and just maybe leave Catherine Kennedy to be a bit more of the business, the business side of things. Maybe I think his
0: relationship with Kevin Feige is going to play a very, uh, important part, uh, as, uh, as it relates to his future within Lucasfilm and star Wars, because you got to know that Disney out of, out of all their movie executives, you got to know that Kevin Feige is well regarded and respected by everyone at Disney, you know, and I'm sure, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Bob Iger really, really, you know, appreciate all the money
1: that he's bought. In. Yes,
0: exactly. I mean, cause you know, out of all of their other properties, you know, Marvel has been the bread and butter of Disney for the last 10 years, you know? Yes. Yeah. Their live action Disney movies have done well and have made money, you know, I mean, gosh, line, the live-action Lion King was the second high, highest-grossing film of last year just behind Endgame. But Marvel is is where they have really, really done well financially. You know, and they're investing in a lot of that, you know, within their parks, creating, like, Avengers Land and stuff like that. You know, so uh, I think... I think... I don't know. I just, I just think there's going to... You know, we already know that Kevin Feige's been, you know, in, in talks to, you know produce another star wars movie i just i don't know man i'm i'm with you i think i think favreau has earned um you know the 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 opportunity to do more star wars especially from the mandalorian the mandalorian is honestly outside of rogue one i think it's the best star wars that disney has done you know since they purchased lucasfilm so um yeah all right, man. What else? Anything else? Just been cool. watching some so of that.
1: I've been watching TV, but um, obviously I'll, that's a big part, which leads me into it. Kind of inspired me to watch the um, uh, Return of the Jedi. So I watched that. um that <laughs> nice. on. Um, so I know a lot of people that follow me watch this. I saw me maybe tweeting a few things out there, and just watching that film just allows me to just spot so much. I feel like that film is so crucial to to Luke's journey, whether or not you like that film or not I think Empire Strikes Back is a well crafted film and an overall probably a a better film but I think the reason why Return is so highly regarded for me is because I'm a big Luke Skywalker fan and I think that film for me is is so integral to his character and and you learn so much about who he is not only where he ends up but actually just who he is as, as a person and and stuff like that and and watching that just there's, there's so much more that you just miss that just so contradicts the last Jedi. I don't, I don't know what Ryan Johnson was watching for his research for, for creating the Last Jedi, but like it's so like it's so many times Luke says in the Return of the Jedi, like, I can't I can't kill my own father. Like he just like he's just so many times he just says it. Like even though he wants one he's like, well then we're all doomed essentially if you can't do it and he's like and he finds a way to make things better like and Darth Vader is a villain he is a villain at that point we had not seen any good from him he's killed so many people he like yeah he was just a part of obviously Alderaan just being absolutely destroyed he was outright a monster and Luke was like I can't kill this guy how does that person how does that person go from being that to I've had a few visions of my nephew so therefore I'm <laughs> going to pull my lightsaber out and him whilst he's sleeping you
0: know what I mean? I mean, I mean it, it, and it, it, it just makes a lot more sense why Mark Hamill was so vehemently opposed to the direction that Ryan Johnson was going to take Luke Skywalker and how he, he, he could not help himself, but voice his opinion publicly within interviews and public appearances to just show how much he disagreed with what they did with Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I mean, even yeah, after I think yeah. I see a lot of people that tweet, "Whoa!" After the movie came out, well, you know, Mark basically retracted all his statements and said this was a brilliant movie. I what else is he supposed to say? I mean, he's still under contract. I mean, yeah. he he's, he is legally bound by his his work contracts with Lucasfilm to not trash the film. I mean, he can't yeah. say anything bad, you know. And like he if, did-
1: Luke, if he generally turned around to everyone and went don't go see this film, it is trash. (laughs) How many Star Wars fans would go, okay, I'm not seeing it. If Luke Skywalker turned around and went, this will ruin your vision of Star Wars if you see this film. This is not Luke Skywalker. Like, it would... The film would have bombed. Yeah. It would have bombed. Yeah. It would have been everywhere. Like, Luke Skywalker says not to see his film. So it's like, of course. Of course he's been told he has to say this stuff. Like, it's press... It's like, this is how corporate massive companies work. Right. If you genuinely believe the stuff that celebrities say about films... It's like <laughs> it's like chat shows, like Graham Norton and stuff like that. Every time they interview someone, they say they like the film. They don't like every freaking film they see when they interview someone. It's because they have to say it. This is just the way the world works. And to believe that he genuinely was like, I think it's a great film, after all the the evidence that suggests that he doesn't like it, it was just, it's just naive. But yeah, he... Like it is just Ryan Johnson for me, I think his ego was so massive that he didn't really care about the history of Luke Skywalker. He, he cared about making Luke Skywalker what he wanted Luke Skywalker. Yes. To this, be.
0: this was not this. I mean, Oh gosh, dude. And we should probably dedicate an entire episode to this. Cause I'd love to get back <laughs> into this discussion with you. Cause it's, it's true. He, he created a movie for him and no one else. This was not a movie for anyone else. It was not a movie for the fans. It was not a movie for, for the history of what has come before in Star Wars. It, it, it this was a movie for him, and and I yeah. and I understand. And this is where I, I think uh, some people might call out my hypocrisy because I'm. I am all for Zack Snyder's vision of, you know, justice league and all that. And, you know, respect artistic integrity. Uh, And yes, I am for that. Uh, I just think when you're dealing with the biggest intellectual property that exists in Hollywood, which is star Wars, you have to tread so lightly and be so delicate with what you're doing and making these movies that if you don't, it's going to fall apart. And that's what's happened to the sequel trilogy. I mean, it fell apart in front of our eyes. I mean, yeah. what a mess. What a mess from what? 2015 to 2020. What a mess, man. It's, and I it's didn't think it
1: could, I didn't think it could get any worse than The Force Awakens. But now I actually look back at The Force Awakens and think, Christ, I was harsh on that film. <laughs>
0: My the Force Awakens like, is easily... Is it's low. easily the best gonna...
1: sequel trilogy movie. Easily, yes. without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I shredded <laughs> that film, because at that point, my standards were quite high. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah. Star Wars, think what you like about the prequels, they're still enjoyable Star Wars films, and obviously the, the original trilogy. So, like, I was judging The Force Awakens based on Star Wars that we're used to, and for me, it didn't meet it. But I tell you what, those second two films, they were so below the standard... The Force Awakens actually, ah, oh, it's like fair play. JJ. Maybe you did a better job. I'm sorry for my, the grief I gave you. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, well, I'll tell you so, this. I'll tell you this film. just
0: about Re- Return of the Jedi. I, I have there, there are three three scenes uh, in Star Wars, the original trilogy that that for me encapsulate everything that I feel uh, and and love about Star Wars. In A New Hope, it's it's the moment where Luke is in the trench run, and he has his target computer on, but he's hearing Obi-Wan's voice, and Obi-Wan is telling him to, you know, trust the Force, Luke, let go, Luke. I love that scene. I love it so much. It, everything about that resonates with me and hits me really deep. Um, in The Empire Strikes Back, everything with Yoda on Dagobah, everything that Yoda teaches Luke about the Force, I it, to me... That is the essence of everything that makes Star Wars special, that scene. And then in Return of the Jedi, which for most of my life was my favorite Star Wars movie. As a kid, that's what that's created my love and passion for Star Wars was Return of the Jedi. Um, but the, the throne room scene in Return of the Jedi is without a doubt the best Luke Skywalker scene in the entire saga of movies. Um, and especially, especially the shot of him when he... When he's in the middle of his fight with Vader, but then he hides, and he's you know, and he's telling him, "I will not fight you," and it shows that picture of Luke, and how the light is on his face, and one side of his face is is you know, it has the light on it, and the other is hidden in the dark. It that is such an incredible, creative, and impactful. Just that shot right there just shows you what Luke's journey has been all about, and the choice that he now has to make. It's so incredible, man. That the, the Return of the Jedi is is better than <laughs> it is better than anything that Disney has created by far, and I, I love that movie, man. I love it so much. It's so good.
1: Oh it uh, yeah. yeah, it's so good. That's why you need to watch um, this this documentary, the gallery film, because. I won't go too much spoiler for it. Dave Filoni has this like whole monologue about how the Star Wars is about like parenthood and stuff, which everyone knows, but really about like fathers and how Anakin doesn't have a father and how at the end he has an opportunity to be a father that he never had to Luke, and you see him having that, and it's how it like comes around and like the way he explains it is like honestly, it's like it gets you, man, because it's like he. He just gets it. He gets it, and he actually gets it better than I ever did. This monologue really opened my eyes to a completely new vibe of how the Qui Gon Jinn was like Anakin's kind of father, but then he died, and he had no father, and that was his whole point. And Luke's character is based on the fact that he does have a father to save him. Anakin fell to the dark side because he didn't have his father there to save him, but Luke did. So therefore, Luke fell into the light side, and it's just like, oh my god like mind-blowing. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's really inchi- I'm going to give um, I'm going to
0: give a little shout out to a star it's actually the only Star Wars podcast I listen to right now, but it's called The Scarf Scuttlebutt. So shout out to Brad and Roe and uh, and Alex. Um but they they recently had um an episode where they discuss uh they theorize what would ha- what would have happened to Anakin had uh had Qui-Gon not been killed. Had Qui-Gon actually been the one who trained Anakin had been with him throughout his entire Jedi training. Would his outcome have been any different? And it's a really great discussion. They're split on it, though. They're split, so they don't, you know, they don't see eye to eye. But oh, uh, yeah, just shout out, shout That's... out to them. It, honestly, dude, if you're interested in any Star Wars podcast, man they they have they have my favorite Star Wars podcast because they they do not bow down to disney <laughs> so, i'll, I'll just i'll just leave it there i'll check it out because okay, that's okay. that's really interesting because
1: yeah. that what i've just said about the day of Filoni thing is that he talks about how the obi-wan kenobi was was more of a brother figure right. to anakin right where qui-gon was a father figure and yes. if qui-gon stayed alive it would have been different where because obi-wan was a brother figure that that brother relationship is not as powerful as a father relationship and that's why yeah so it's really so interesting yeah, that's really interesting, that's interesting. Yeah. okay cool uh of Star Wars* thing there, but I'm gonna put this back out. This is gonna be interesting. Have you seen um so I watched this quite recently and I really liked it, uh, but it had mixed mixed reviews. But uh, Bohemian Rhapsody I recently watched for the first Did time you not see that cinema. You didn't see it when it came out? No, I've seen it. I've just I've seen it again. It's the first oh, time I've seen okay. it since the cinema. I really like it. It's a brilliant movie, man.
0: It, I love that movie. It gets way too much criticism and I'm happy Rami Malik won the
1: Oscar. I thought he deserved it. I agree, one hundred percent. I love that film. I I'm big, big Queen fan. Really, really like Queen, and I think it did a re- like real justice. Personally, I think it, in the end, where he, um, where he obviously has his revelation, comes through, realizes that he's living a, a destructive, uh, an implosive life, and that he comes out. But then he obviously finds out, during that process, he 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 finds out he's got AIDS, and he's struggling with his voice, and then goes out and does that gig. It oh, it's so emotional honestly it really really gets me being such a massive fan of 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 queen it was i think it was done really well and i don't i don't agree with the 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 criticism, criticism that it gets i it, i'm a big fan of the band and for me I, I walked out with a big smile on my face feeling like i really did see a a decent picture whether it's as true as it should be or whatever and brian may wasn't so massive on it there's always someone in a documentary or a biopic that isn't happy about it, but well, and I I think, I
0: think the band for the most part had given their stamp of approval. I mean, they were even in attendance at the Oscars performing, you know? um, Yeah. You know? And yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, there, there are things that are historically inaccurate and, and I think, you know, I think I'm assuming that the band probably would have had to give their approval on telling the story a different way, but as a movie, as a movie, I think it works really great one of the criticisms i've heard and a lot of people compare this movie to rocket man because rocket man was not nearly the box office success that bohemian rhapsody was um and yet critically rocket man did much better than bohemian rhapsody And i hear a lot of people saying oh well taron egerton actually sang his songs that's actually him singing okay yeah i know rami malik didn't sing but there's no one in the world that can replicate the voice or even come close to Freddie Mercury. Like literally there's no one that can do that. I mean, I, you know, there are other bands that have played renditions of queen songs, but it's not it, like, no, you have to use Freddie Mercury's voice. There's no other way that you can do this. Like you can't have Rami Malik or anyone other try to sing his it's songs. Like if, they,
1: if they do, I think, I think a Whitney Houston biopic is in the, in, um, in the motions as well. And they uh, they better not try and get someone to sing Whitney right. Houston. In my opinion, I agree. Like she is I the agree. greatest voice that this planet has ever heard, alongside Freddie Mercury. Wow, me. those wow. two. Like wow. I think Whitney Houston. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't sit there and listen to Whitney Houston's songs, but I'm I like I think she's just got the most powerful voice that's nice to listen to. It's not just power, etc. And for me, if they go and get someone in there to try and replicate this voice and base an actor around it because that's what's really important as well it's like it's about their life and the singing is part of their life but you need an actor that can really portray their life that's what you're going to go see it for and I don't want that actor to be watered down because they can also kind of sing a bit like Winnie Houston or kind of sing a bit like Freddie Mercury like no I want the performance to be as best it can be and and Malik is a is a is a brilliant actor he obviously was really good in Mr. Robot etc and so for me, he did a brilliant job, and that's what's important. Like, I don't want to hear someone trying to be Freddie Mercury or trying to be Whitney Houston in their singing, and because it would just be offputting. Because it won't be anywhere near as good, and like, and it's probably maybe why. I'm not sure, but like, Elton John is is got a pretty good voice as well. I haven't seen Rocket Man because I'm not a big I actually fan haven't fan seen right it either. <laughs> I haven't. No, I'm wow. not a big fan of him. And when they started saying it was a musical, I I struggle with with musicals, even though I like um, Elton John. So I just. I just wasn't really interested and I like Alan John's got a very unique voice as well. So someone trying to pretend to be Alton John, that ain't for me.
0: Yeah. Now, I, the thing that I love most about that movie and I had, I had heard, you know, just stories here and there about Freddie Mercury and his relationship with Mary Austin. But what I didn't realize, and I did a lot of reading afterward after I saw the movie is that they, they stayed friends their entire life, even after their divorce. And when he died, he left everything to her, everything. I, I mean, I, I guess his, um, his last partner, the, the guy that he was actually with, um, I don't think that they were married cause I'm, I, I, I doubt that marriage was legal. Uh, gay marriage was legal in the UK at the time. But anyway, um, he did leave some of his belongings to his partner, but literally everything went to Mary. And, and I think what I appreciated so much about that movie is that I think it highlighted really well, what, what a true, a true deep friendship and relationship can be, uh, between two people, you know, and, and not just, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, two guys or two girls or a man and a woman. And in this case, you know, even though Freddie Mercury was gay, um, this relationship that he had was with Mary was anything that surpassed sexuality or the physical nature of what a relationship is. And just, I don't know. It just, it was so beautiful. It really was. And I, I I'm happy you brought up this movie, man, because I, I'm happy to sing its praises. Cause I love this movie. I thought it did a great job of honoring Freddie Mercury in his life. I really did.
1: Cool, man. Um, and I've said to you that obviously this episode is going to be about Batman Begins but I've watched that so obviously we're going to go into that a bit more um but the last last film on my list was one that I'm um, interested to get your your take on because I put out a tweet um about um how I get annoyed that people will judge a book uh, a film that's based on a book and say I didn't like that film because it wasn't as good as the book <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm very passionate about this cuz I think it's 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 very unfair in comparison, and in that conversation, I think I had a conversation with with formal. I used the Da Vinci Code as an example because I actually just recently watched that film again, Um and that's what inspired me to put out that tweet, etc., and, and used it for him. and And yeah, so I've, Da Vinci Code was one of the films I've watched since our last show, and I really like this film. I've never read the book, and a lot of people say it's oh, it's nowhere near as good as a book. I don't enjoy it, but for me, I've never read the book, and I really like it. I think it's it's got a really interesting story it's got a very cool spin on on a religion uh which i have a lot of respect for i'm not religious but i respect religion quite a lot um so i've i've i think i have a good audience for that sort of film um hans zimmer's score for it is is probably is for me falls in that category of when films don't do too well the score seems to get pulled down with it similar to like daft punk's tron etc which really frustrates me because the uh, the main theme for for the Fincher code is is just sublime. It is some of the <laughs> best bit of classical music I have ever heard. It gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. Like it's unbelievable. Um, so so yeah, so that's the film that I watched and big fan of it. And yeah, interesting one because int- we dabbled in the conversation of of kind of how people will degrade a film because it's not as good as its book. And you kind of brought up lord of the rings didn't you so maybe we can dive into that a little bit more and what do you think of da vinci code itself
0: so i've never read the da vinci code but i have seen all the movies it's been a while since i've seen the movies but i remember enjoying the first one a lot and i thought i thought as kind of like a mystery thriller adventure film i thought it works really well and even though i am very religious um Maybe I should say spiritual more than religious, but uh, I mean, I, I am a God believing person. Um, I know there was a lot of criticism from religious people on that movie and there's nothing about that movie that bothered me because the, th- the reality is, is everybody has different opinions and beliefs on what is and isn't in terms of Christian history, you know, and, and Christ having progeny is a real question that a lot of people wonder about and there are really hard lines that are kind of you know drawn in the sand where a lot of people say no it is not possible like christ would you know it never in the bible never said that he was married never had children and i might be spoiling this for anybody who's never read the book or seen the movie uh but hey these movies are old um or people that sit no, like are open to the to the possibility that Christ actually had children, and so you know that's what this movie plays around. And I think it's just fascinating. I think it's really fascinating to how the author of the book, uh, what's his name, Dan something, oh, I can't it's remember. It's
1: Daniel. Uh, yeah, it's Daniel something. Uh,
0: so, um, and and it was did Ron Howard direct this movie? Yeah, Ron Howard did all three. So. I just I thought it was done really well and how it incorporates both you know theories and mythology and religious history I just thought it was good I thought it was good so but as your question with the Lord of the Rings though you know there are not many movies on, on which I've actually read the book that they're based on um, but Lord of the Rings is definitely one of them and I've read those books and and I don't think those movies could have been made any better I really don't it it was a near impossible challenge to adapt those just historic books into movies. And what Peter Jackson did, I think is, is something, uh, honestly, one of the most incredible achievements in, in cinema. And the fact that they allowed him to film all three movies at the same time, just shows you the type of dedication and trust that I think studios really lack today in filmmakers. I mean, cause think, think about, I Think about that. I mean, think about if, if, if someone wanted to make a franchise and the director said, okay, well, let me film all the movies I want to do at the same time and we'll get it done. The amount of time and financial investment that the studio has to give to that filmmaker, is it's unprecedented. And the fact that they let him do it is incredible. It's incredible. It really is. Anyway.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. What do you think about how people um, will judge a film because it doesn't, Live up. It's the the book was better. Like, How do you feel with that? that I don't reason? know, man. It's it's a, it's, it's complicated
0: because you know because there are just very few books in, in which I actually read before I saw the movie, and um, and it's hard. It's hard not to compare. It really is. And so sometimes I feel like I would rather watch the movie than read the book. You know, to to be more fair. Uh, to the movie and my thoughts on the movie, but um, like just mercy, I read the book before I saw the movie, and I knew there was no way that they're going to be able to make the movie nearly as good as the book, and so my expectations were already, I feel like they were tempered, and I just, I just knew that the, t- that what the book contained, there's no way that they're going to be able to make this in, in just a two hour movie. There's just no way. That, so exactly,
1: so that's why I find it weird that it's even. That's why I find it weird that there is a, a level of comparison. I know obviously it has to be because... There has to be a comparison for there to be able to be a film made out of something. You don't make a film out of a, a painting, for example. Yeah. It's completely different. Yeah. Creative art has to be a... There has to be a link. And since there's a link, you're allowed to compare. But I do feel it's... I do feel it's always... It's a comparison that is kind of pointless. Because the book will kind of, will always be better. So it's it's sad to always not enjoy a film. Because the book the book is for me when i say it to people i'm like but the book will always be in your imagination they'll describe something on the pages but you'll create something in your head you'll create how a character looks in your imagination the perfect character sure there'll be a description but you'll see in your mind how they look and when you say like like harry potter you'll have in your head how hogwarts is and the story would have an unlimited time frame to delve into deeper things with the characters and different parts of the story etc like when there's a film like even like the music you can even have that kind of level of how the sounds and stuff would be in a book because it all comes from your your imagination and no one it's no one's nothing's ever going to be better than the stuff that you create in your head <laughs> you're creating it to be exactly how you want to see it as a person right. so that's why i always find it and a, and a film then also doesn't even have that a length of time to be able to go into that level of depth Either. So that's why I find it so sad that people can't enjoy a film because it's not as good as the book. Like I always try to try to just I get that, but don't worry about that because it's not it's not going to be. But look at this film as as a film. If you hadn't read the book, like we so say I haven't read Da Vinci Code, I like it. I think it's a really good story, I think it's a really good take. If someone turned around and went, Oh, that didn't happen in the book, I'm not bothered, man. I haven't read the book. Like it's based on the book, and they've created a story, and it's still a really good film. Does that story flow in the film? Yes. Just because it doesn't line up to the book doesn't necessarily make it a bad film. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree.
0: No, I really do. I, I just think, I just think it it it's challenging for me personally. It is challenging if I had read the book prior to seeing the film, and then seeing the film, it's it is mentally hard to disconnect the two and be subjective on on what is being presented in the movie for the movie's sake. So, and so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, cause uh, anyway, anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd dwell on this for too much longer, but it, any other movies?
1: No, man, that's it. We, uh, Batman begins, but we'll just go into that a bit deeper in a bit. All right, dude,
0: I've got a list here. I'm going to run through these real quick. Like maybe let's spend like five to 10 minutes on this. Okay. And then we'll get into the news. My wife and I, we watched, Almost all the Jurassic Park movies. I don't own Fallen Kingdom, so I haven't seen it yet. And unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere. But um, <laughs> you, <laughs> I think you follow the Salty Nerd on Twitter. But I listen yeah, to yeah. those guys. So he and I, we've, we've connected. He, he lives in Las Vegas. So we're not too far apart in terms of proximity. Um, but we've, we connected online last year and we've just kind of, you know, uh, grown to be better acquaintances over the last year. But uh, he dedicated uh, the first part of June to rewatching and discussing Jurassic Park movies, which he is very passionate about. Um, and so that inspired me to watch the movies. And I watched, those first four movies, the first four Jurassic park movies. And then the Jurassic world movie had not seen Jurassic world since it was in theaters. And it's easily the second best film in the entire franchise easily, I I think. And, and what's surprising, man, and this just shows you, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Jurassic park, that first movie. And I think as, as just a franchise, it's a fun franchise. I didn't realize Steven Spielberg directed *The Lost World*, the second sequel, or the se- the sequel to the original *Jurassic Park*. He did both, one and two. Did you realize that?
1: No, he, that's weird. The, I don't The
0: know. *Jurassic Park* with um, <laughs> when T Rex ends up in San Diego at the end, walking around eating dogs and drinking out of pools—that is a Steven Spielberg movie.
1: Oh uh, dear! I suppose you can't <laughs> get it right, hundred <laughs> percent.
0: So I, what's what's funny, though, is after watching Jurassic Park, uh, The Lost World, and then Jurassic Park 3, I think Jurassic Park 3 is by most people is considered better than The Lost World, but I think I was more entertained by The Lost World. Anyway, the first movie is brilliant. It really is. I am interested to see where Tr- uh, Colin Trevorrow is going to take this franchise. Um You know, Now that they're off the island and it looks like they're going to stay off the island. They had five movies on the island. I'm tired of being on the island. If you're going to do more Jurassic Park movies, stay off the island. Um, So I saw those movies. I saw a streaming movie on Amazon called Blow the Man Down. Um, One of my writers did a review on it. I think think it's worth your time. If you're just interested in seeing a new movie, something you've never seen, I'd say maybe give that a try. I also watched The Lovebirds on Netflix. It's a comedy. Um, It was okay. It was okay, nothing special. Um I watched the final movie in the DC Animated Movie Universe, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Wow, that movie is violent and bloody. <laughs> it's very violent and dark. Anyone that criticizes Zack Snyder for making DC too dark, uh you guys have definitely never watched the animated movies because those are dark and they are definitely rated R movies. Um I watched an 80s movie with Patrick Dempsey called Can't Buy Me Love. You ever seen that one? No. Classic 80s, man. Classic 80s. It's streaming on HBO Max. I know you don't have that, but for any of our listeners that it's interested. Um <laughs> I watched Sucker Punch for the first time. I have never seen had never seen that movie. Um It's interesting. And I, I understand a lot of the criticism that Zack Snyder gets because this this movie is his only movie in which it is. An original screenplay, an original story, not based on comic books, not adapted from comic books, not a remake like his Dawn of the Dead. Um, uh, It's hard to gather my my thoughts on the movie. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I've seen
1: it a a few times. Um, It's got a good soundtrack.
0: Yeah, no, uh, um it was pretty good it was pretty good and and very stylistic just you know in the fashion of every zack snyder movie very stylistic um it's an ambitious film and i think in his mind it it i think from what he conceptualized to what actually ended up on paper were maybe different things and i don't know if his ideas were captured well enough within the movie and i i i, I mean that might seem <laughs> the fact that i mean it's his story he, he wrote the story he wrote the screenplay it's this is his movie and warner brothers gave him the money to make this movie but it was a financial flop uh it was a critical flop um it's not a terrible movie though i just i don't know it, it, it was a really interesting film really interesting I forget
1: the the Oscar Isaacs that's one of his like kind of more of his early films
0: I know well not that not just that John Hamm plays in it as well it's got it's got some fairly notable actors in it Um, but I don't know I I think I think saying it's a bad film or saying it's a good film I think does uh, the film a disservice it is very complex it really is it really is so
1: I think that Zack is a bit of an artist isn't he um, I think he struggles sometimes with really um, laying out that story. Um, I think that's the bits where he struggles the most. I think that's where he always gets hindered a lot with, especially with his like. He did well with Man of Steel, but I believe it's a bit more of a simple story. But when when BVS came in, it became a little bit more complex. Obviously, he had his issues uh, with with WB getting involved, but he's he's always struggled to be able to to tell his story um and he's obviously likes complex stories and that's where it's he needs to he needs some work on it he's very good at making things look good he does good action scenes he yeah. gets the best out of actors and stuff like that it's just that it's just how those the story is coherent and and the audience can follow he's not he's not great at that like chris like when you look at how Christopher Nolan does his films when you look at inception that film is a such success it's some of people's favorite films and that has a very very complex story but Nolan is very good at having telling that story and the audience can follow on no matter how fair you are of watching films how well you are how clever you are etc he, he makes it very easy for you to follow and understand and it still feel like a complex story where Snyder has complexity but he doesn't Create it in an easier way for people to digest, and that's a hurdle he needs to work on.
0: I think I would agree. As much of a fan of Zack Snyder as I am, I I think Zack Snyder is very cerebral. I think I think he really does have a lot of a lot of incredible ideas in his head, but but how it translates onto the screen, it does become it it, it, it's it is very complex. It really is, and Sucker Punch I think is a great example of that. you're going to kill me for this, man. But I don't know if you noticed, but I tweeted this out when I watched it. But I, I saw Rambo First Blood for the first time this weekend. <laughs>
1: no way. I uh, missed that tweet. I yeah, missed that I, don't, I need I, to find that out. So,
0: yeah, no, I, I've never seen any of the Rambo movies. Um, iTunes had a sale uh, earlier this summer that had like, if you bought all the digital movies for the Rambo movies, it was like four bucks a movie. So I'm like, yep, buy it. So I, I watched the first one. That is legitimately a very good film. Like and yeah. and Stallone is legitimately really good in that movie. Like really good. I, I I think it it really encapsulates how how good of an actor he can be. Um and the final scene of that film, man, it's really powerful. It really is. It's a great movie. Um and i think for as old as it is 1981 or 82 i think it holds up well very well for i think it really resonated with
1: people back then as well um closer closer to to the war um that he comes back from etc and i think he um yeah i think it 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 really was a film that really brought out a lot of issues i think that was around that time um from what i'm aware but Overall, for me, it's a massive film of my childhood. My mom so, loved those. I'm so there, rocky.
0: there, there was uh, some iTunes extras, just some like behind the scenes uh, available on the digital copy, and I want. It was like a 22 minute little documentary, and the filmmaker said that the studio was concerned that this, the theme of the movie was it was too close. It was not far enough removed from the Vietnam War that that people were going to reject it. And it was actually the very opposite, just like you said. It was a film that resonated with with a lot of people, and and the fact that it did come out. I mean, we're talking seven years removed from the end of Vietnam War um, in the U.S., and it, it's something that a lot of people just really enjoyed so great movie man really good I, I know the sequels are not nearly as well regarded as the first um but i'm still looking forward to seeing what, because what they,
1: they became do so. Alized. i don't know what he does <laughs> like rocky weren't like he just i don't know he gets carried away and something happens in his brain where he's just like people like this so i'm just gonna <laughs> just go mental and just, just give him it but 10 times it's like he's He's this workout steroid, <laughs> ah, and it's just like that's what he does with films. Do you know what I mean that's what he tends to do with his films? Well, did you
0: see? Did you see his new one that came out? Uh, was it last year or this year? Earlier this year, it's just it's. Yeah. I think it's called Last Blood, right?
1: Oh, the Rambo! Oh yeah. my God, have you seen it? No, It is it is beyond dreadful. Oh God! Okay. My brother-in-law <laughs> is like massive Rambo fan. Yeah. He loves it. We went to go see it together, and he just like looked at me like. What have they? What's he done? What have, it, it, <laughs> It's so bad. It's so bad. But yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. So I've got two more. Um. Uh, so just last night, my wife and I we watched the Truman Show. Oh, oh my gosh, man! I forget how incredible that movie is. Maybe Jim Carrey's best movie, and and just one of the most I think unheralded movies that that deserves everyone's praise what a it's just an incredible movie man it really is it's like i mean it's like it's like the matrix and inception but in a much more um believable way should i say yeah yeah. i mean it's brilliant and the music of that movie is incredible such a great movie um the last movie i want to talk about is uh i also watched it this weekend my wife was gone okay i watched like six movies this weekend Um, I watched the Denis Villeneuve 2013 film called *Prisoners*, starring Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, um, I've not seen that. But oh, it's like bro, listen, sort of man, you right? you
0: gotta see this movie. You gotta see this movie. I I'm already a fan of Denis Villeneuve. In that *Arrival* is a brilliant film. Sicario* is a brilliant film. I think *Blade Runner* 2049 is absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm looking forward to his Dune, but Prisoners, dude, Prisoners is raw. It is it is heartfelt. It is so good, man. It's so good. It's a two and a half hour movie, and it doesn't really feel like it. I, this movie is so good. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, though, is that the score, um, the score is done by a guy. It was composed by Johan Johansson. You ever heard of him? So he's 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 done just a, a few of uh Villeneuve's um movies. Like he did uh he did uh, Arrival and he also did Sicario, so he did Prisoners as well. Beautiful soundtrack, really good. But dude, you got to see this movie, man. Oh my gosh, man. It <laughs> the final 10 minutes of the movie are in incredible oh my gosh man i honestly been thinking about this movie so much ever since i saw it that's a a movie that just makes you think days after it it just speaks to the quality of the movie i think so okay that's my watch list listeners i know we're almost 45 minutes in (laughs) so um ryan i just love talking movies with you man um Let's let's get on to some of these DC headlines. So the last couple of weeks, man, we have gone we have gone from literally DC, what the heck are you doing with your movies after the bomb of uh, Birds of Prey to to some of the biggest news headlines that DC could have ever come out with. Obviously, Zack Snyder's Justice League is the probably the biggest thing that Warner Brothers has announced in a long time. Um, but since then, since the announcement of Zack Snyder's Justice League, dude, we've gotten quite a few headlines. So one of the things I want to bring up first is that Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who had a very small role in Batman v. Superman, um, but did appear as Thomas Wayne in the opening scene of of Batman versus Superman, um he is rumored to be in discussions with Warner brothers to reprise his role as Thomas Wayne in the upcoming flash movie Dude, the flash movie originally, I believe was supposed to come out in 2018. So we're already two years past the original release date. The movie has been, has gone through three different directors already, multiple screenwrites. And finally they have now settled on, um, I don't want to get his name wrong, so let me let me look up The Flash real quick. He's the director of the, the new It movies. Um, Andy Muschietti? 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 But anyway, so he, he is the director uh, for the upcoming Flash movie. Ezra Miller, yes, in spite of a lot of uh, <laughs> things that have come out regarding Ezra Miller. Um, he is still uh, in the lead role as Flash, but um for anyone who's not a dc fan or or familiar with dc comics or the dc animated movies if it's true that jeffrey dean morgan is going to have a role as thomas wayne in the flash movie the only thing that this could mean is that this movie is going to be a flashpoint movie which was one of the most iconic and popular dc comic storylines i think ever and for me out of the dc animated movies that i've seen it is my favorite dc animated movie um and so not to give away too many spoilers but for the, again for those who aren't familiar with the storyline the flashpoint is an alternate reality that the flash creates by going back in time and saving his mom from from her murder but what that does is that it changes the events of history and in, and what happens is instead of bruce or instead of the waynes both thomas and martha wayne being murdered in an alley and bruce surviving to become batman Bruce is the one that's killed in an alley when Thomas and Martha Wayne survive, which which ends up m- making Thomas Wayne become Batman, but a much more hardened, grizzled Batman. And Martha Wayne actually becomes Joker, which is very fascinating, I think. So I think this is very interesting. What are your thoughts on this? Is this something that you would like to see? Are you familiar with the Flashpoint story? Is this something that sounds good to you? What are your thoughts?
1: Um. So I've not um, watched... The animated stuff. I've never read the um, the comics, etc., or anything. But um, uh, I am aware of the outline of of what happens. Um, so, so I'm aware of of what you've just said, and I'm fine with it. I'm I like all stuff like that. I like different takes as long as it fits a coherent story. Um, overall, for what they're trying to achieve, I'm down for anything. My only issue is I don't feel like Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the best of actors. <laughs> um in my opinion uh, 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 i think he's okay um don't right. i don't think he's a bad actor and i've enjoyed some of the stuff that he's been in um but i just don't i just don't think he's he's very good as a lead i think he's a good side um actor i think he's a supporting actor but i think he's he's not a great lead anything that he's ever um led in hasn't really done particularly well um so i just and I know it still would be like a supporting role because this would be a flash film. It would be a supporting on, role,
0: yeah. It would not be in a lead role at all.
1: But taking on a Batman for me just automatically feels like a, a needing a leading presence actor mm. to like. So I know like it's still being that kind of thing. It's just he's not, he's not, he's not the best. Um, but I'm down with the the story and going that way. But um, but for me, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I could pick better actors. He he looks the part, just his acting's not. Not the greatest, in my opinion. No,
0: that's really interesting. I, I, I mean, um, I think coming from a point of view, you know, not, um, well, I don't know. I don't know. L- let me see. The, the The fan reaction to this, I, I, there's a lot of fan support, and and DC fans are are pushing for this to happen. I think a lot of DC fans want to see a Flashpoint movie. I think Warner Brothers would be, I think they'd be dumb if they didn't do a Flashpoint movie. I think a Flashpoint movie is maybe the greatest story of a flash movie that they could do. Um, I'm not a huge flash comic book fan. I'm not familiar with a lot of his other stories, but honestly, flashpoint is a phenomenal story. I think as it relates to the look of the character, I think Jeffrey D Morgan is a very good pick for, if he was to be this Batman, watch the animated movie, dude. If you have a chance, watch the animated movie. The The Batman in that movie is not the Bruce Wayne Batman. It is. It's not, he's very different. Um, Much more calloused. Like this is, this is a very different kind of Batman, but um, uh, on top of this other news, uh, one of the things that uh, could be in play as well is Ray Fisher also returning to the DCEU as cyborg. So Ray Fisher is the the actor that uh, portrayed Cyborg in uh, the theatrical cut of Justice League, and will appear in Zack Snyder's Justice League as well. Um, However, he did have a solo Cyborg movie that was scheduled to come out 2020. Obviously, the you know everything that we know about the DCU and what was originally planned has been scrapped. But ever since the announcement of Zack Snyder and his Justice League version, his cut of Justice League being you know released on HBO Max. All these rumors are starting to pop pop up and that uh, the next rumor is that he could also appear in um, the 20, 2022 Flash movie, which, again, would it would correlate to the, a, a possible Flashpoint movie. So in the Flashpoint storyline, Cyborg, he's kind of become the Superman of that universe. He's like he's like the the head guy of the good guys. And 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 so um, I really like uh, I think Ray Fisher Is one of the bright One of the few bright spots of the theatrical cut of Justice League I think he did really good As Cyborg And I would be genuinely Excited to see him in another movie So what are your thoughts on that You want to see Ray Fisher, yeah, you want to see Cyborg You want to see a Cyborg movie, what are your thoughts
1: Yeah I like Ray Fisher I'm not too bothered about a Cyborg movie Just yet um, not that I would never want to see one but I just think there's some things that they've got to get straight Warner Brothers and um, prioritise other heroes over him but him he's been introduced already he's a, um, Ray is a good actor so him appearing in other films um, is good he had good it, obviously we haven't seen the Zack Snyder's Justice League which is obviously going to be more the the original um, take on what Justice League should be but he was his um, relationship with, with Ezra Miller's Flash had a uh, Good kind of comedic banter thing, which I enjoyed. Whether or not Zack Snyder's Justice League comes in and rewrites everything, and that was never meant to be the case, and they were never meant to have such a a friendly friendship, we'll see. But the one I saw in Justice League was good. So overall, I'm I'm happy with with all that, to be honest. Got no no qualms.
0: Cool. Okay. So this is the last bit of news that we're going to get into before our main topic. Um, The rap. Today released an article saying, "Batman Returns." Michael Keaton in talks to play Bruce Wayne in the Flash movie. <laughs> not know, man. So Ryan, um, this, this is um, well, this is a bit of news for sure. This is definitely a bit of news. What is what this means for the Flash movie? And the story that they're looking to do—it's um, very confusing to me. It's very confusing. Well, let me give this. Let me give this bit of of hindsight or uh, um, just a caveat. This is what it says from the article, and I, I just I want to I want to highlight this though because um, this is not a for sure thing. Okay, this is not a for sure thing at all. Uh, I thought I had the quote. Hold on a sec. Okay, here it is. It says, After nearly 30 years, Michael Keaton is in talks to return to the role of Batman to appear alongside Ezra Miller in Warner Brothers' upcoming movie, The Flash. The rap has learned exclusively. Talks with Keaton are in the very early stages. It is far from a sure thing and can go either way. No details are currently available about how big or small Keaton's role is. So, first thoughts, let's hear it, Ryan. What are your thoughts?
1: <laughs> oh, for me, I think it's stupid. I think I've, I've honestly, I think for multiple reasons. One, I think I I got, got Formal's voice in my head disagreeing <laughs> with me on this. Like I don't know why I could just see him disagreeing <laughs> with me, but I I just think, and this is off base of no research or anything, but many of the movie goers that really go to the movies on the whole uh, now are more bought up on on the Bale Batman and the Keaton. So I I, I oh I yeah no M- ha- Michael
0: Keaton's Batman movie is almost thirty one years old.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like so it's so I think this target audience of this nostalgia vibe that it will be I don't think will be as good as they would hope it, it, it certainly will not be as big as if they were to bring Bale back no way to do this role I think it, like if Bale was coming back to do this I think it'd have a much more impact on the on the general audience of today and on what it means to Batman um, yes Batman means to these people but taking that aside as a more of a business decision on what they think is going to get it I just I just I just don't like them Relying on this nostalgia, this nostalgia and just trying to bring in this this vibe of like, just move on, create some new stuff. Like, stop trying to manipulate people to come see this because you're you're bringing in this old Batman. It's like like Tim Burton's style of Batman does not fit in with this with this Ezra Miller Flash and and the Batman that we're used to and the Superman. It just doesn't. They don't fit so it would feel forced it's just it just feels all too forced to me Michael Keaton's a really good actor and I think that if he was coming in playing a brand new Batman and all this stuff which might be the case but I very much doubt it then I'd be down with it be, if I play an old one like a really old one I'd be down with it because he's a, he's a brilliant actor he's a genuinely brilliant actor and he's of an age where he can play an older Batman um, and but that's not going to be the case. It's going to have a link to this Tim Burton Batman, and it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't work for me. I'm sick of them using outside sources like they used with the scores in the Justice League to try and manipulate the audience to love it because of this nostalgia vibe. Personally,
0: so I'm kind of torn on this because uh, a couple things. I I'm with you, man. I think Michael Keane is a brilliant actor. I think he is immensely talented and. He's only gotten better with time, in my opinion. I I think Mm. he's just, and I think he's well respected in Hollywood as well. Um, The 1989 Batman movie was the first superhero movie that I ever saw in theaters. I was, I think, I was barely five, Um, but I I have a lot of nostalgic love and appreciation for that film. And and I mean, it was the first. it, It was the first. Outside of Adam West Batman movies, this was the first big screen Batman that we had ever gotten. And I genuinely believe that the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie changed DC movies forever and I think influenced uh, superhero movies as well forever. This was the first time that we're seeing on screen a dark, more intimidating type Batman character. And and even I think it's shown in the the Schumacher films, I think they even try to shy away from how dark that Tim Burton movie, even in Batman Returns, which I think is even darker than that first Batman movie. Um, You know, the Schumacher films, I think Warner Brothers wanted to go, hey, let's not go so dark. Um, But (sighs) I, I think this is the case of just an outlet jumping the gun. I think there is so little information, and they got a ton of clicks today, a ton of clicks, and it caused a Twitter uproar, and people are tweeting about it and whatnot. But I I, honestly, you know what I think is going to happen if he actually agrees to this and he appears in this movie. I think it's going to be a quick cameo or an in-credit scene that's going to last less than sixty seconds. I don't think it's going to be any significant role. I just don't see how, how you know, maybe Flash. You know, it shows Flash, you know, going back in time, but he has to pick like, you know, certain wormholes to take, you know, to go to a certain time period. And then he ends up in 1989 with Michael Keaton's Batman and he's like, oh, wrong one. And he leaves, you know, something like that, something real quick, you know, you know, for comedic elements uh, to the movie or something like that. I just I just don't think that it's going to have any significant role. I think Michael Keaton would be, you know, maybe think it would be fun to, you know, put the cow back on. You know, but not not as a significant role as Bruce Wayne or Batman. I just don't see it. I really don't see it. If if he were to ever appear in any significant role reprising his uh, his Batman and Bruce Wayne character, uh, I I've, I've seen people clamor about this, but that animated show in the late 90s called Batman Beyond, where Batman is old, he's old, and he's you know given his suit and technology over to Terry McGinnis, who's the new Batman. I think something like that could be interesting because then you're not playing Batman. You know, it, as Michael Keaton is aged, you would play the aged Bruce Wayne as well, which I think would, I think it could be an interesting film. But but no, dude, my opinion of this is I think people are making a, a, a big uproar over nothing, honestly. So that's my take. We'll see.
1: <laughs> Your idea was good, though. If they did do something like that, where, yeah, you've got all these different universes and he zooms into a, a back cave with old. Michael key and sat there at his computer or something and turns around and he's like nope you know what i mean and then jumps yeah back see i said like, yeah that'd be fine like, yeah that, that'd that be fine like yeah as long as you mean to <laughs> keep it like that and it's not a big selling point then yeah of course like i was like i'd be a hypocrite i was massively down with the tv show even though they they blew it with uh the with going into the um the Smallville universe didn't oh, know like, that yeah, TV yeah. show. Yeah. Like, so I'd be a hypocrite writing like that. That's fine. Even though it was awful. Like I was really excited to that. And I, I watched that episode and stuff for that, for that reason of them going to a different universe and popping in and there being a, a bit of a cameo. So yeah, no, I think that w- that would be a really good idea if they did do that.
0: I do agree with you though. And I want to make this point because I think uh, nostalgia, if we have not learned that that does not work, I, I I don't know how many times we're going to have to learn this lesson because I think justice league is the perfect example as to why nostalgia does not work. And yes, it was done in small ways, but using those, those themes, the the, the Christopher Reeve, Superman theme, and then the Michael Keaton Batman theme, you, you can't rely on those, on those types of nostalgic elements to make your movie good. And so I, I mean, I'm a fan. Again, I'm a fan of the Batman theme. I think Elfman's score for that first Batman movie is great. I love Michael Keen as Batman in that movie. But if Warner Brothers is still relying on these, you know, nostalgic elements to somehow draw fans, uh, you
1: know, look what Star Wars I put in. I'd be like putting like chocolate sauce on a pizza. I mean, look, I like chocolate. Well, yeah. and I like pizza. <laughs> but you don't put it on there man sometimes you know what i mean one thing works better with another and belongs over there and this belongs over here
0: i I mean and it's what star wars did that got them into the mess that they're in now i mean they use the the legacy characters as nostalgic elements to attract older fans into movies in which those characters never belonged you know yeah so exactly Oh, goodness. All right, man, let's use the remaining time. I know we're about an hour in listeners. We appreciate you guys staying with us. But uh, Ryan and I, we wanted to discuss a a movie that is, I think, I think pretty dear to both of our hearts um, that just had its 15 year anniversary last week. Uh, But we are talking about Christopher Nolan's 2005 Batman Begins. So, Ryan. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this film. I think it, <laughs> I've, I've made it clear to you that this is my favorite Nolan Batman movie. And and I think I I'm, I'm pretty sure I can say that it is my favorite Batman movie. Um, but I'm excited to talk to you about this. Let's go ahead and just jump right in. Um, when I, when I first saw this movie, I didn't get to see it in theater. So I spent two years serving, uh, a religious mission for my church in Argentina when this movie came out. And so by the time I returned, it was already out of theaters. But uh my parents had the DVD, watched it, and immediately, immediately fell in love. Like, like really, I really felt and knew that, holy cow, this movie is very special. Like, really, really special. And I know we had had, you know, some, some Batman movies before, but they're what Christopher Nolan did with this movie and i just remember thinking this like like i i don't i don't think cinema will ever be the same after this movie cuz this is truly something special um and so th- that was my i remember just thinking and feeling that a- after seeing it for the first time but do you do you have your first thoughts or, or memories of seeing that movie for the first time
1: oh man i remember i i haven't just, almost a little bit of a story that goes along with it and i think spectacular but i hated batman hated batman like the films with the george clooney that was kind of the only things i'd ever put forward to and as much as i respect more the michael keaton ones now as i'm a bit older as a kid they weren't for me they weren't they were too they were dated <laughs> for me i, I they just over my head um so i saw this film in the cinema in the theater but i only saw it because it was my best friend's birthday and he was like like I want to go to cinema I to, like I want to see this film, and like we were young then, so like we had to still go like with his parents. Like this is a little like so he was like, oh, I'm going for my birthday, my parents are taking me. Like I want, you, like they said I can bring a friend along, you come along. And I'm like, oh, I hate Batman, I don't want to go, but I was like, I'm doing it for you, go for your birthday. Got out of there and I was like, what the hell was that film that I just saw? Because that was nothing like those the films of those films I hated. I was like, this is unbelievable. I come out and I'm telling my family to my brother and they're like they're all just like, oh Batman's a bit of a lame character, isn't he? He's like he's just a bit of a rich man. I'm like, No, that's watch this film. He's not just a rich man in a suit. He is not just a rich man in a suit. This film gives you gives Batman real purpose. Real purpose on why he exists and an understanding of why he exists and a, a proper, deep, meaningful explanation. It's not just a rich man in a suit. That is just a byproduct of what Batman really stands for, and I was like, just home to home. and I was like, and to be honest, for that, <laughs> then I just it, it ignited my passion for movies. I think I was quite young. I just thought I was like, this is an amazing film. I was just I, I was just blown away by it. By every moment in that film, it was, just, and and then and then yep, yeah, and then it was like when when the, when they announced that Dark Knight was coming out, I was on that film. <laughs> every picture every trailer every freaking easter egg because of because of batman begins because of how good batman begins was
0: i was surprised that i looked up the financials for this movie and it didn't even break 400 million at the box office like really surprising like it was a very low grossing movie and and i I think which is even more shocking because the dark knight grossed over a billion dollars i mean it was just a box office smash hit um but Batman Begins, man, uh, the things that I remember sticking out to me the most were one, um, the the real time and detail that Nolan took to tell to tell the backstory of how Bruce got from the night his parents are murdered to becoming Batman. I think those story elements are so key and critical that are missing from any other Batman film, even in in. Um, in Tim Burton's Batman movie, you still see the death of, you know, Thomas and Martha Wayne, but but how Bruce, the journey that Bruce goes on to get to that point, you never see it. And unless you're a comic book fan, I don't think you're ever going to really know, but Batman Begins gives you that depth and his time that's spent with um the, um oh gosh, what's the group called with uh, Ra's al Ghul? What, what are those, the, the, League of Shadows. The League of Shadows. That's right. The League of Shadows. The time that's spent there and the training that that is done with uh with Roz is is so good. It's so good. And it really it it, it adds to the the understanding of of how Bruce and why Bruce is the way that he is. Obviously, not just from the combat training that he gets but just his his philosophy, his philosophy and what he's doing, because even in in when he's training with the League of Shadows and being presented with these moral dilemmas, you know they do they both want to fight crime? Yes. Do they both want to rid the city and the world of crime? Yes. Like this is where Bruce and the League of Shadows align, but their methods on how they do it, there's a there's still a a, a real de- deep sense of morality that Bruce still feels, even from where the crime that he has committed before, you know, becoming a petty thief, you know? Um, but those scenes, those scenes are so good. And the dialogue between, uh, Roz and Bruce, you know, when they're that sequence, when they're fighting on the ice and he tells Bruce that his father lacked the will to act. Uh, I mean, Oh my goodness. You can, and you can see the wheels turning in Bruce's head on just like, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Um, but yeah, no, those, those scenes I remember sticking out to me the most, but gosh, dude, Zimmer score. I think this is when No, I actually know because I, I think I was fairly aware of Zimmer already with, uh, with like, uh, um, um, gladiator, but dude, Zimmer score. It is so good. Oh my gosh. Just those elements of just, uh, I wish I could describe it, but just like in in the, in the opening scene, you know, where it's showing kind of the bats flying through and stuff like that. And they create the bat symbol and whatnot, but dude, oh, the music is so, it's so spectacular. The way he
1: uses that kind of that cape sound. Yes. As part of the music. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of this low kind of just rumble and thud. You know, it's yeah. so good. But those, those I remember really sticking out to me the most. And even now, even now when I turn on the movie, those are some of the things that I look forward to revisiting. But um,
1: yeah, so I, that was, I mean, that was my 1st reinstruction to Zimmer. I remember coming out of that and needing to go, I need to find that, that theme tune. Like <laughs> I need to find how he did that. And it was like, yeah. And then I had like, obviously Gladiator, or I knew Gladiator and stuff like that. And, and then I, when I went back through Zimmer's catalog, I was like, yes I know that yes I know that oh my god this guy's amazing but yeah, yeah Batman Begins was a massive landmark yeah. for me with, yeah. with Zimmer he was amazing one point with that film like that that really I think capsulates it all but, but what Batman is is I've got to just google the quote for it because I want to get it yeah let's hear it, let's accurate hear it. As accurate as possible. I wonder
0: if it's the same one because there's a quote that I wrote down too that I wanted to share let's hear it interesting it might
1: yeah. be it's when he's in the plane with Alfred oh no but I've got another one oh okay yeah cool. go ahead he says when he's talking about talking about like the creation of Batman because Batman is an absurd creation yeah isn't it, it it's it's absurd and like when he explains it to um, how he explains his thought process on how he's going to get to be in Batman and he says to him he says he says to Alfred people need dramatic example to take them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne as a man I'm flesh and blood I can be ignored I can be destroyed but as a symbol as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting, and for me, like, for me, that opened my eyes more to the the superhero world. That 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 sentence it opened up to me and like what Superman is, what Spiderman is, and it, that it's not about these these people fighting, even though that's enjoyable to watch. It's not about that. It's actually about what superheroes are and what they mean to the world and and what they what they symbolise. And from that, like, that is just. And so then yeah, it, then it completely makes sense on on why he becomes Batman because that is what Gotham needed. Like there's been his his dad was a man, and even though his dad did really well for Gotham and he was a hero in Gotham, he he never succeeded in what he was planning on doing. And then you have like the mob, they're more men, they're corruptible, the police are corruptible, and therefore they have no trust in the police. There's no trust in the police because they're corruptible. So he needed to be something that transcended being a person and yeah. like and that's what's just so good. Uh, <laughs> and then and that's why it's so good at the end of the dark night. Because it just follows it. At the end of the dark night, he he takes that fall for Harvey Dent because that just that sentence I've just read that quote I've just read out to you is because he was never meant to be a someone. This being, oh yeah, but you're a good guy. You're a good guy. You shouldn't take the fall for it. You're a good guy. It's not about being a good guy. It's not being about a bad guy. It was always about just being what Gotham needed Right, this symbol right. to be so that he could fix it, and it's just ge- it's just so genius. This is why these films. If you don't, anyone's listened to this, and you feel like, this isn't the best Batman. Like, and you love the Ben Affleck stuff, and I get that Ben Affleck is a really aesthetically a good Batman, and he we could have had a great Batman with him, but to say that Ben Affleck is a better Batman, like he just doesn't have this rich depth of character that the that the Bale Batman does. Yeah,
0: there's something there's something that really gets at the soul and the heart of the Batman character that that I think only the the Dark Knight trilogy captures. It really does. Yeah. I I I agree. I really do agree. My favorite quote of the movie is, um, and it's because it it comes full circle. So when. Bruce Wayne crashes uh, this, you know, dinner party where uh, Rachel is there, you know, and he has two models on both of his arms, you know, and the models go swimming and Rachel's looking at him with disgust. He turns to Rachel and he says, you know, trying to, trying to show her that this is just a show. He tells her this, all this, this isn't me. Right. And her response to him is it's not, it's not, oh, he, he says, yeah, this is, this is not me. You know, I this is not me. And she says, it's not who you are. It's what you do that defines you. And I, I remember hearing that just going, wow, that is incredible. That's really powerful. But then it comes full circle. So it makes it, and it makes the quote, I think even more powerful on who Bruce Wayne really is. And that when he saves, when he saves Rachel and, and she's thanking him, he tells her the same quote. It's not who we are, but what we do that defines us. And that's when, she, you know, she's like, oh, it clicks. It's oh, Bruce, and, you know, and then he jumps. Oh, I love, I love, 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 love that quote because it's that's something so great. It's something that, that I, he, I honestly think about my myself all the time. I'm just like, we think of ourselves a certain way, you know, and when we make mistakes or we're not living up to even our own expectations, we're able to separate who we are from what we do. And we think of ourselves as I've made mistakes, but my, my mistakes aren't me, but that's not how the world sees us. The world sees us the very opposite The world sees us. As Rachel says, it's not who we are or what we think we are. It's what we do that defines us. And that really is our, our, our reputation, our lives are played out on the scale of, of our actions as perceived by the world. and, and, and Batman also understands this and he, and I mean, which is you know, why he's able to do what he does, but
1: uh, sorry, sorry, I interrupted. What were you going to say? No, 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 I interrupted you. The, what's great about that though is, is you realize that he never actually, anyone that knows that uh, Bruce Wayne is Batman, he never tells anyone. He never tells anyone outright. Like he always does it in this kind of cryptic way that means something to those people. So when he comes out to Gordon in, in the third film, he d- he talks. He just says that. Um, what's the quote? Something on the lines of, um, like a hero can just be a, doing something as simple as putting a, a jacket on the on the back of a kid who's just lost his parents. Oh. He, you know, what I mean, he does stuff like that all the time. So like, that's what that's what I love about that as well. Christopher really pulls that through. But there's two things I want to I want to hit up like this episode um one thing because sai would kill me if i didn't bring this <laughs> up, if he listens to this but one thing that me and sai always says to each other like whenever like he um whenever like he'll buy me something or uh, we, we do something like that and there's and i owe him a thank you or he owes me a thank you he'll go like he'll go like he'll like like oh, oh, thanks mate and he would be like maybe like i oh, didn't say like we, in a situation where we have to say thank you he'll say oh i forgot to say thank you and i'd be like you'll never have to because we love that bit not (laughs) because we joke about it because that's such a great bit because again that encapsulates how batman is you're not doing it for thanks he's not doing anything yeah he's not looking for accolades or recognition no
0: not at all yeah
1: exactly and that just some that just sums that up massively like like we joke about that bit now but it means a lot to me inside we think it really sums up batman in just one like five second snippet of the film of just like who he is and what he's doing it for and stuff and and then, like, just how it ends as well—the with the music and it jumps off the off there, and then it ends with Batman Begins on the screen. Goosebumps, good goosebumps. Even talking about it right now, so good. But what's what's really interesting though with Batman Begins, which is something that is a bit of kind of like knowledge that I've learned for a lot of being and nerding out of it. But of the whole trilogy, the when Bruce's parents die and Bruce is at his dad's his dad's on bruce's lap almost um thomas wayne says to bruce don't be afraid bruce and nolan has like in like interview as well which really is interested is nolan says that 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 one line is actually the theme for all three films and it actually gets to the point where bruce is just is, isn't afraid like in the dark knight where he where he's pushing himself to the limits, and Michael Cain's saying like, like he's got the bruises on his back and stuff, and he just keeps on going because he's not afraid, and 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 to the point where it actually becomes his downfall, and where he actually should have been afraid of Bane, and if he would have had a bit of fear of Bane, he would have taken his fight more seriously and learns from that, and that's what like Chris Furlan said is that one that one bit that one line that that would probably be so far away to most viewers was the one line that Christopher Nolan made sure that he stuck every time he he created those films, every time he he would look at that character, that one line was always be something that like, that that moulded Bruce. And when you really look back, it's it it really is. It really is. It's it's so deep. And I, I love that bit. So it's a really bit of cool information for anyone that, that doesn't know that.
0: Yeah, and I I mean we've seen we've seen three versions on screen of the murder of the Waynes. You know, first in um, Tim Burton's, then uh, Christopher Nolan's, and then Zack Snyder's BVS. Um, But it's Nolan's, Nolan's is the only one in which uh, Thomas actually is able to speak to Bruce before he dies. And yeah, no just powerful man. Really good. Uh tell me your favorite scene. I've got a favorite scene, but tell me your favorite well, I guess maybe not I guess I wouldn't say this is my favorite scene, but it's my favorite Batman moment. How about that? Your favorite Batman moment um in Batman
1: begins. Um it'd probably have to be the I, I never said thank you and you'll never have to. I think that's probably my best bit. So I, I as um as I've gotten more
0: I guess kind of educated on comics and stuff like that. I I've seen how uh, comic book fans appreciate uh, elements of comic book that is taken into the movies, you know, and what they feel like looks like Batman and stuff like that. But uh, the scene that really hit me, I remember seeing this for the first time. And even now I look forward to the scene so much, but uh, when he is busting in on the scarecrow and their goons before they pour in Uh, or as they're pouring in the drug, you know, that chemical compound, the the hallucinogen, sorry, um, into Gotham's water supply. um, You know, he gets, he gets hold of scarecrow and sprays scarecrow with his same stuff. And what, how, how Batman transforms is so cool, man. It's so cool. It's so cool because it is, I think I think more than any other moment in in the Batman movies, this is what he wanted to become for his enemies. This is he wanted to instill fear, the same fear that, you know, criminals wreak on communities and cities. He wanted those criminals to fear him. And I felt like this. Holy crap. This is it. When he grabs him and his face is like demon Batman and almost looks like it's melting and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh, dude. I love that scene so much. And, I mean, the fact that Nolan thought of this is just genius. It really is. I it love is, that scene. That
1: is That is, bit, that is, uh, yeah, that is, it's really good, yeah, because it's kind of like the actual, the physical form of kind of that fear, isn't it? That he wants to put on people and you really get that, that representation of it. It is, yeah, just the way he looks, he's got that, like, tar. Yeah. Like pouring out his mouth. Yeah. Like, oh, it's it's so good. That's reminding me of the bit that's when he's which is like when he's got the cop on the uh on the rope. and the cop's just like, That's all I have, man, I swear to God And he's like, Swear to me Yeah Like, you know what I mean? It's even like don't go, you know what I mean? Like he's like just this God figure. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't give a crap about a God or, you know what I mean? That means nothing to me. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean, like I'm the guy here and you're giving me, the right. Answer. You're he's in my, I,
0: I, you are in my mercy. Like you, I am, your yeah, life yeah, yeah. is in my hands. Isn't it in Batman yeah, begins no where
1: he's holding,
0: he's holding a crook off the, off the ledge. Or is that dark Knight, where he's like, the fall won't kill me. He's like, I'm planning on it. Or, yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. And he drops on The guy one professional
1: him. to another, this hide, it won't kill me. Yeah. Yeah, it, on it. yeah that's um that's it, that's uh, Batman begins, uh, Dark isn't it? With every, it's um, Dark Knight. Oh with it is Dark Knight. Maloney.
0: Yeah, no, that then that scene is so good, man. That scene's so good. But um okay, we're 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 at the end. We're gonna end this podcast, buddy, because I know <laughs> you and I we could we and we should probably do that, man. We should probably just kind of maybe spend an entire episode just on the Dark Knight trilogy. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But um I, I know your favorite movie uh I think your all-time favorite movie is The Dark Knight, right? I mean that's your favorite yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. So I mean obviously it's your favorite in the trilogy. I, I I just think it's because of how much this movie resonates with me and just Bruce's journey from from the murder of his parents through the struggles of finding his place in the world and and once he loses out on the revenge that he sought from Joe chill and him not being able to kill him. The journey that he goes on, I think is so, it just really hits me. And I think that's the main reason why I, I take to this film more, but honestly, man, as an origin story and as a Batman movie, I think this movie is perfect. It really is. Uh, I mean, I outside of I've man said, of steel, my... I, I think Batman begins a man of steel for origin stories are just perfect. They really are
1: big time. Well, that's what I said in my tweet, the, um, where, i said i said that tweet and i think you agreed i think that for me batman begins is the best batman movie ever made where and i think it's a better batman movie than the dark knight i just for me i think that the dark, dark Knight is, is just a better it's movie film yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's fair man that's fair oh dude I, I watched i watched this trilogy a couple months ago but i feel like i need to go back and watch it again That's so good dude yeah, so man. good all right, brother. That was a fun podcast, man. Listeners, we we're, we're, we're ho- we hope you guys uh, like the show. Um, yeah, just thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading today's episode. Uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and let the listeners know how they can follow you and reach out to you online.
1: As always, just Ryan from lifeoffilms.com. Get anything you want to chat to me. All my inf- contact information is on there. So, yeah, hopefully speak soon.
0: All right, listeners. Thanks again. Uh, and Until next time, I'm Andre at Backseat Directors. And on behalf of Ryan, we'll see you guys next time. The Backseat Directors theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album Ozo Motley presents Ozo Kids and all of their other music on iTunes. The Backseat Directors podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next stop, concession stand. Coolers, popcorn, part of the plan. Soda pop, and now we go to door number one to catch the show. We we'll find our seats. Uh uh-huh. The perfect road. Wow. It's the perfect day for a movie. Let's go see a show. Yeah. Let's go to the movies and see a show. Of movies we can all choose from. There's action, adventure, animation, and comedy. There's sci fi and westerns and classics, documentaries. Uh, So many options, so much variety. There's a perfect movie for you and him and her and me. Uh, So find your seat in the perfect row. Sit back, relax, kick up
1: your feet, and turn off your phone.